This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good afternoon. Welcome back to another episode of Kentucky Daily. I'm leading us off today. My name is Derek Terry, and I'm joined by Sean Smith, as always. Sean, my apologies for us getting to this late. I was down for the count today with a migraine, but uh, feeling better now. And yeah, this is better late than ever. It, it's afternoon, though. You said good afternoon, so we'll just go. We'll just go with that. Good night. Yeah. Good afternoon. Good night. No. Uh, yeah, but we're, we want to make sure that we get an episode to you for Tuesday. Uh, Derek, there's not a lot that's happened. Uh, I guess the news that we should lead off with is the Kentucky women's basketball program got some really, really good news uh, late Tuesday night. So Auburn transfer Robin Benton is granted immediate eligibility by the NCAA. So Tyrell Z definitely off to a good start with some good news with the women's basketball program. A pretty good basketball team there, Derek, that should be fun to watch this year. Yeah, should be really good. Uh, she was granted eligibility, former All-SEC uh, freshman uh, two years ago. She was on the All-SEC freshman team, former five-star recruit. I believe she averaged double-digit points last year as well. So this is a good pickup. Uh, they do have one other transfer who's waiting word, and that is Jasmine Massengill, who transferred in from Tennessee right around the same time as uh, Benton did as well. So, judging how the NCAA has been giving waivers, I got to think uh, she stands a pretty good chance as well to get eligible. So, that'll only be a further boost to the team's star, which is obviously Ryan Howard, who last season was the SEC Player of the Year. Well, today she was labeled as the conference's preseason Player of the Year. Yeah, she uh, she had a lot of good news today too. There was something else she was named to uh, watch list for the. Cheryl Miller Award, too, today. So there's a lot of good coming out of the women's basketball program. And, you you know, you mentioned the waivers and stuff, how those are kind of being passed along. As John Rothstein tweets, seems like every day, the NCAA is handing out waivers like seedless watermelon at a 4th of July party. So (laughs) that's exactly what's happening right now. So definitely good news on the women's basketball. They play the same day, don't they? Don't they play the 25th as well? Isn't that when they open their season? Because I want to think it's – Yeah, I want to think that they open the exact same day as the men's team. I don't know the tip time, though. Let me see if I can find that here. I'm scanning. Yeah, they play at 1 p.m., November 25th. I think it's Murray State. Yep, and that's at Memorial Coliseum. So it'll be a double dip that day with the uh, women's basketball team. And then now we know, Derek, the men's team, they'll play at 6 p.m. that night on the SEC Network, and then they'll play Detroit. On Friday, the 27th at 6 p.m. on the SEC Network, and, and then they get a – is it Detroit second? And then – or how'd that Richmond. go? And one then Richmond at one – Richmond's an ESPN game, 
which I do mm-hmm. think will be the best game of the three. And I think that's why it got the, the ESPN slot on Sunday. Uh, so, I mean, here we are, Derek, uh, a week from tomorrow. You know, Kentucky basketball is on the TV, given that nothing happens crazy in the next seven days. Uh, I mean, we're to this point. Does it, does it feel like that we should be here? <laughs> I suppose so. I mean, having Cal schedule a game the day before Thanksgiving and the day after feels very much like him. So that feels normal in that way. So uh, you're not wrong. I'm, I'm excited for it to start. Uh, obviously, not a whole lot to talk about on that front after what we discussed yesterday with the scrimmage. Um, more or less, former cats are kind of in the news right now with the NBA draft tomorrow, but also the trade deadline. Well, not the trade deadline, just I guess the trading window is open now in the NBA. And we saw last night kind of in a blockbuster deal, Eric Bledsoe, of course, a member of Calipari's first team, was traded to the New Orleans Pelicans uh, for Drew Holiday. There were some other pieces in that pick uh, or in that trade. But also I saw tonight, uh, Sean, that John Wall is potentially going to be on the move to Houston if they can find a way to work that out for Russell Westbrook. So I don't know if that will actually happen or not, but uh, some former Cats on the move. It just shows you how long it's been, how long Cal's been there. That now that that first class of guys are kind of on the, you know, the trading block and things like that. Uh, who would have, honestly, who would have ever thought at one point that we would be talking about John Wall possibly being traded for a player like Russell Westbrook? You know, they were pretty much on the same level, uh, former number one pick there until injuries. Uh, I think he's, he's old. That John Wall's thirty years old. Well, considering that I'm thirty-one, it does make me feel old. It doesn't, doesn't seem right that he should be 30. Right. No, it doesn't seem right that I should be 31 either, but, <laughs> but here we are. So <laughs> it does make me feel old. Uh, no, because I was straight out of high school when that team was there. And I, yeah. You know, I actually found – I don't know if you know this or not. Wayne Turner has a podcast. Did you know that? No, I didn't. So I found it today, and he had John Calipari on there late in October – Today he had Tony Delk on, and it's a very good podcast. And they actually is it talk. The, uh, is it the new podcasting? It is. The, the 68 or whatever? Yep, whatever it is. Called? Yeah, okay. So I, I found that podcast today, and his first guest was Cal, and they talked about, you know, his first Kentucky team because, you know, Turner and Scott Padgett were on that team or were on that team as assistants, like with the staff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they talked a lot about that team, and, you know, Turner was talking about how he played pickup against John Wall and Eric Bledsoe, and he said that that made him feel really old because they kind of left him standing still. Uh, but, no, I, I didn't know that Cal actually recruited Turner when he was at UMass, and they told a lot of stories with it. So, honestly, I would recommend that podcast to all Kentucky fans uh, because he's had, he has a lot of his former teammates on. And then, of course, that episode with Cal, it's, it's, for, it's all fresh content. It's only, like, maybe three weeks old. I'd encourage everybody to go listen to that, but I thought that was a cool find today that I kind of just, you know, found skimming through Twitter. That is cool. I'd seen uh, that that network had had been going. I saw North Carolina, something had been tweeted out. Roy Williams was on there. It seemed like a lot of former players hosting these, which is a cool thing to happen. You'll obviously get a much different perspective from a host like that, someone who's played it. And Wayne Turner, of course, is a hero in this state in the 1998, and he was on the 96 team as well, but played a much larger role. Uh, well, he was on the 96 team, right? I don't think I'm misspeaking there. Yeah, he was, was before there. my time, but I know for sure he was the 98, uh, one of the front runners on that team, one of the best players. But where is he from? I didn't realize that Cal had recruited him at UMass. That's a really good question because uh, they were talking about it and everything, and you know, Wayne was talking that he had a lot of respect for, and the name that he mentioned was Bruiser Flint because Bruiser Flint was on was I think his lead recruiter. 
when he was at UMass. Yeah. And then Cal went into this big discussion saying that, you know, Bruiser looks the same as he did when they were at UMass, and Cal looks like he's 70 years old now in all this. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to remember where Wayne was from. I don't remember. Yeah, I've, I've no I can find it on his Wikipedia. He's, he was born in Boston, Massachusetts, so from that part of the country. Yeah, what's Billy Packer saying that Duke game? He scored 62 in a high school game. He must think he's back in Boston. I should have put that yeah, together, yeah. Uh, something like that. So, yeah, that's right there. That was right there in prime, you know, Calipari territory at UMass. Probably a pretty big loss for them, but uh, he didn't go there. Uh, I guess, Sean, moving on, um, NBA draft is tomorrow night. I guess we can come back with some reaction once it's over. Is this – I've not looked at too many mock drafts lately, but is this going to be the first year that Cal does not have a lottery – pick at Kentucky or do you think Maxie can sneak in there? I think he can sneak in. I honestly do given given the times and, and everything and you have to rely on game film and all that stuff. I, I have a feeling that he could sneak in but if he doesn't it would it would be kind of something I honestly didn't think that we'd ever see with John Calipari at Kentucky did not have a lottery pick and then it goes just goes to show you too Derek that he's a pretty good basketball coach. Because if he didn't, if he ends up not with a lottery pick on that roster last year, and they did have, I mean, they did have a lot of youth, uh, sophomores yeah. and freshmen, and they still managed to win the SEC by three games, and they were in contention to make a run. So, uh, I guess it just goes to show you that the man can coach some basketball. Yeah, I definitely felt like either the second or third. I mean, obviously the NIT team will he's going to hold that title as the least talented team, but I thought this team. You know, I, I thought the Jamal Murray, Tyler Eulis team was still – they had some deficit, you know, down low in the post. But Eulis was one of the best point guards Cal's had. Murray obviously was a, a great player as a freshman. It seemed like they had a little bit more firepower than this team uh, did. But either way, those two teams were pretty similar. I'm looking at the uh, ESPN, and I, this is just one mock draft. I don't know. You could go everywhere and find them. But uh, ESPN has Maxi going 16th. So they don't have him in the lottery right now. But all it takes is one team in that mix, taking him, and they have Maxie. That would be to the Houston Rockets, so he'd be going back home to his home state. And what what number was that? This, that was at 16. So that, that's yeah. close. I mean, that's close. That's He's about 14. Mm-hmm. So I'm skimming through here to see if he has any other U.K. guys. He does. He has Emmanuel Quickly. Uh, I believe this is Jonathan Scavani. Let me see. It is, yep. And, so at 45, he's got Emmanuel Quickly going to the Orlando Magic, and then – that's, that's that's it, Sean. Man, that's a that's big it, gap. Sean. I mean, that's a that gap is. that you don't typically see. I, I guess you have to go back to the 2014 class with Randall and James Young. I th- were they the only two that got drafted out of that year? But they were both lottery picks. I don't remember anybody outside of yeah, that team. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it's a weird year. Uh, they don't have the – I mean, Kentucky's definitely not going to be the storyline of the NBA draft tomorrow night, which will be weird. Uh, but I do think that you have it. I do think four of them have a chance to get drafted, but I'm going to say the safe bet would be three at the most. I have a feeling that Nick Richards, I think Nick Richards might sneak in late second round. I don't, I don't know. Do you, do you think somebody's going to take a chance on Hagens? Like, I I just don't know. I think Um, he'll at least get an opportunity in free agency, maybe for training camp, but, E.J. Montgomery is the one guy that I don't think will hear his name called tomorrow night, or Khalil Whitney. No, neither of those guys are going to get picked. Uh, certainly not. Uh, I wouldn't be stunned. I mean, it sounds like Max – obviously Max is getting drafted, and I think Quickly's pretty safe bet too, somewhere in the second round. 
Richards wouldn't surprise me. Hagen, I'll be honest with you, Hagen's will surprise me if he gets picked. I, I just don't think he, uh, the way the NBA is now right now with the offensive scoring, I just don't think he is in a point where you can feel comfortable drafting him. And yes, good defensively, but you know, I think he might need to do a little bit more than that. I think you're right. He's a guy who I think gets picked up in free agency. And another thing, I mean, we talk about at the end of the NFL draft, some of those years um, where guys get picked sixth, seventh round, sometimes it's better not to, to not get picked at all. Yeah. And you can just choose your own kind of uh, path. And for a guy like Hagens, that might be the best thing for him, maybe to get on a two-way deal somewhere, a uh, place where he can help out at some point in his career. But either way, Maxie would be Maxie would be interesting to the Rockets. Uh, I'm not a – I mean, I keep up with the NBA a little bit. I'm not an expert by any means. But obviously they're they're selling right now. I mean, their, their coach is gone. They got a new coach in there. Westbrook wants out. Harden wants out. He would be going to a place where he could probably play quite a bit. But – He'll join, even though he's getting picked 16th, he'll join the long line of uh, Cal picks who uh, went to a struggling team. And it certainly yeah. seems like that's how Houston's going to be the next few years. Uh, I, I agree with you 100%. I mean, he's clearly, I think, the, the best. You know, if you gave, if you asked me to pick one of the bunch to have a long NBA career. And then, too, I honestly think, though, the sleeper would be Emmanuel Quickly. I think Emmanuel could have a very solid NBA career given – the improvement that we saw from freshman year to sophomore year, the ability to make shots. And two, does Emmanuel quickly, is he even on this draft board if he plays anywhere other than a place like Kentucky, you know, with the statistics that he put up? I mean, if that's, you know, Kentucky, that, that that's the thing, Derek, I think that a lot of people don't, don't get is that sometimes Kentucky gets these kids drafted, then they get the opportunity and then they take advantage of it. Uh, so, I mean, you can make a case for Bam Adebayo with a lottery pick, you know, Pat Riley knew what he was getting in BAM. He knew he was getting someone from Kentucky, and then you look at see what BAM's done, and then it was easy for them to take Tyler Hero the next year. So will a will a franchise gamble on a Kentucky guy at a spot just because they're a Kentucky guy? Does that separate them? I think it does. I think they look yeah. at those things. I think it does help for sure. Um, quickly, you know, I guess the biggest knock on him is he's basically a 6'3 shooting guard, right? Yeah. So, he got to shoot the ball really well, I think, to stay in. And defensively, he got better. Um, certainly got better, I thought, as the year went on. But is that a – to me, that seems like a spot that might be a little concerning for a team, right? It's him on the defensive end. Can he guard guys who are going to be three, three, four inches taller than him? Yeah, and, and I don't see him running the point at any point no, in I his career. Think. I just don't think that that's part of his game. Uh, I do think that – you know, that, that plays into Hagen's favor, you know, being able to at least play the point and being a good on-ball defender. Uh, I just don't know how Hagen's offensive game fits in today's NBA. Like, uh, he's good in pick and roll. Right. But other than that, I just don't know what his shot. So it, they have a couple of guys there and him and Richards that I just don't know where they fit. But I do think that Nick Richards will have a long pro- professional career. I think that he'll – who knows? He might get his name called tomorrow night. I hope he does. Uh, Nick's definitely a kid that I think we're all pulling for. And – uh I think you'll at least get an opportunity. I think you could hear his name called late tomorrow night. Pretty interesting, Sean. Of course, they had a great team last year. Florida State, according to this ESPN mock draft, has two top ten picks projected. So that was a team with a lot of talent last year. Might have been my pick to win it all, honestly. Um, Skimming through here, I mean, Anthony Edwards is projected number one. Of course, he was at Georgia. Uh, You've also got Isaac Okoro from Auburn. It looks like a top 10 potential pick. So the SEC, I mean, not Kentucky guys who are uh, 
Kyra Lewis, another projected lottery pick. So there was some talent in the league I, this year. I interviewed Lewis at a um, at one of the EYBL events. It was probably the summer before he committed to Alabama. He looked like a baby when I interviewed him. Like I, <laughs> I never thought that he would be this good, and I think he's going to be a very good NBA player. Uh, certainly a guy that I think would have uh, made a lot of progress if he had ended up going to Kentucky, if Kentucky would have taken him. Uh, definitely a very talented kid. I mean, the SEC is going to have a good night tomorrow night, I think. They are. Two, I'm counting up right now. Three, five guys uh, projected in the first round. And, and you so, know, and, two, and it's a good thing, too, that it's not all from Kentucky. Like, I know Kentucky fans want to see guys drafted, but I think it's good for the league that you're seeing is, kind of that balance across the league now with guys getting drafted. And that, to me, that improves the league. Now, are these programs going to be like Anthony Edwards? We know that he went to Georgia because of the, you know, the connection there. And then you see some guys go to schools like that. But I just think it's good for the league. It's good PR for the league. And obviously, I mean, Kentucky does better. It's better for Kentucky if the SEC is better. And there's been a lot of talent in the league in recent years. Sean, are you a big NBA fan? I am. I enjoy so the What do you think about James Wiseman? Uh, to me, it just seems like a great fit for him, walking right into Golden State. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. really bad last year, but you're going to have Steph back, Clay Thompson. Uh, you had James I mean, Wiseman in there. I mean, that's a, that's a team that's definitely going to go from one of the worst in the league to kind of right back there in the conversation to win a title again. And then you add I'm that, sure. you add him to a, a roster full of veterans and full of, you know, champions. And, I mean, what a – what a better spot for the kid. Uh, it'd be interesting to see, you know, I'm, I think some dominoes are going to fall between now and tomorrow night with some trades and everything. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll be interesting to see who holds onto their pick, who lets go of their pick. And if there's some big moves, you know, on the trading block and stuff going into it. I mean, clearly, uh, I mean, is, is LaMelo ball going to go number, go number one. I mean, he's there. Yeah. Anthony Edwards there. I, I do think that LaMelo will be far better than Lonzo will be honestly. Uh, when Lonzo was playing, though, I didn't know that. Like, I didn't think Lamelo was really that good when I was watching some of the tape when he was young in high school. But man, he just honestly, he, up in half court. <laughs> yeah, uh, that didn't. Yeah, that didn't really uh, stick out well with me. But I, I do think that Lamelo will be better than Lonzo. It looks like. I mean, either way, PJ Washington and Malik Monk should be getting some help. Number three pick. They're gonna end up with either Anthony Edwards or Lamelo Ball, most likely. So, a guard's gonna be coming in there to help out Charlotte franchise that. Uh, you know, routinely PJ. picks in the top. <laughs> PJ had a really good year last year too. Yeah, yeah. Like he I had think it was a, a good very, year for. It was a good all, year for a lot of cats. All year. three of those rookies, even Keldon Johnson, with the you know he carved his way to the NBA and had a very good performance in the NBA bubble. Uh, he he's a guy you know hero fell into a really good spot with Miami. Oh yeah. And I think the same thing for Keldon. Like if you're going to fall that far. You know, why not go play for Popovich at, you know, San Antonio? Like, what better fit? Like, yeah, you're you, gonna get like, like, where, like, where would Keldon Johnson be if Cleveland would have been where he landed when we first thought that's where he was going? I yeah, mean, that worked that, out. His, that worked out for him big time. But, you know, that would have been interesting, uh, Keldon back for a sophomore year. That would have been interesting. Yeah, and I, I think he could have – he honestly could have been SEC player of the year. I think if with a sophomore season, I think he would have been very good. But, you know, it worked out for him. He showed by the end of the year that he was NBA ready, had some really good performances in the bubble. I think he scored 20 points a couple of times there. 
Uh, John Calipari definitely is to the point, Derek, where there's a lot of guys making a lot of plays every single night in the NBA, and that, that has to bode well for recruiting. You know, that's a pitch that they're they're going to be, you know, given even more moving forward now, especially given the times that they have where they can't go out on the road and recruit. They're just going to say, hey, turn on the TV and watch. This is you. If you come to Kentucky, mm-hmm. definitely has to help. But we'll we'll dive into you know the NBA draft and stuff tomorrow night. It's it's weird that it's going to be in November. I keep thinking like, why is it so cold outside? You know, it's usually warm during the NBA draft. But uh, a November NBA draft is definitely entertaining. Then two days later, we'll have uh, Big Blue Madness. But Eric, you uh, you texted me last night, and on the football front of things, and we don't want to go too deep into this because it's certainly not even a, a scenario right now. Uh, but there, you know, there's some talk and there's some articles being written about Mark Stoops uh, being linked to Iowa, which is where he played. Not not necessarily linked to Iowa, but just some, I guess, you know, just the two of them put together, just given the history and then the possibility of what happens with the Iowa head coaching job with everything that's going on with that program right now. Like I said, Mark Stoops played at Iowa uh, eight years at Kentucky now, uh, I guess, you know, is it something that Kentucky fans should keep their eye on just to see how things play out over the next couple of months? Yeah, the article is from Banner Society, and it was written by Stephen Godfrey, who is a uh, he's a, he's a good college football writer. I mean, he's not someone who just throws things out there. I, I got to feel like when he wrote this story, it was based on one of his sources that he felt was credible. Uh, but something to keep in mind is that this is even being brought up because Iowa has had some off the field issues. Thirteen former players filed a lawsuit. Um, alleging targeted discriminatory behavior against the university, and Kirk Ferentz was mentioned in that. So, first of all, that position would have to come open. As of now, there's, you know, it's not it's not an open position, but perhaps the story basically was was speculating that if it were to come open, if they were to work out something with Ferentz where he could go into early retirement, who might be mentioned? In the article, the only coach who was mentioned was Mark Stoops, who – of course, yeah, played there, like you just said. And uh, I guess, Sean, this way I wanted to go with this conversation, if you wanted to, was, um, one, do you think Stoops would find that kind of job appealing? What do you think are some of the pros and cons of, one, either staying in Lexington, or two, after eight years, you know, taking a shot somewhere else? Yeah, and I think before we go into the pros and cons, I think it's when you get to a certain point, I mean, this this fatigue set in. You know, at a place like Kentucky where you've, you know, had to build it, you, you know, you mentioned that last night and stuff, you know, that that's the, that's a big question, you know, moving forward is, you know, you've done so much for the program and you build it from the ground up, but you get to a certain point and, you know, it's not always going to be easy. I mean, you're seeing that this year. You saw it last year early. You know, it's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to build a consistent winner, you know, at a place that hasn't been known for winning at all. Uh, I don't think – I think it would be a very hard decision for Mark Stoops to leave Kentucky, though, knowing that he built the program and it's his and he's in charge of it. And I know that that would be hard to pass off to somebody else. I mean, the stadium yeah. renovations, the new football facility, all the things that have happened. And then, two, the the recruiting classes, a really good young quarterback that you think is going to be kind of a you know program changer. I mean, that's what they're building Bo Allen up to be. And, and I, I don't know, Derek. I, I think the pros – obviously, you're not in the SEC – I mean, the Big Ten's the Big Ten. There's good quality teams in the Big Ten, but you don't have to face the gauntlet that you'd face in the SEC. Uh, but does the recruiting, do they have the same, would he have the same recruiting success? Like, would Ohio still be 
I'm assuming it would be, but would it be as vital though, with it not being a border state, you know, like that, like where, where do they pull kids from in that part of the country? Yeah, it would definitely be a different, I mean, they can still get kids to Iowa. Um, I mean, they used to happen a lot. Uh, obviously it's probably an easier sell to get them to Lexington, closer drive playing in the SEC, but I think just the way I view this for Stoops is just at this point, he's been here eight years. I just think he kind of has to decide what he wants to do. Um, he's obviously firmly established in Lexington. Even in a year like this where they're three and four, I don't get the sense. I mean, people are probably a little bit frustrated, but I don't get the sense that people are just, like, mad at him, you know. I mean, he's he's done enough good things here where you can afford in a year like this. I mean, he's probably still going to go four and six. So you put that in a normal year, you're probably looking at an eight and four season potentially, which is still yeah. very good for Kentucky. Which, which would be four and four in the league. Yeah, four and four in the league. Uh, you know, the teams that if they do win these games, it's the teams that they play every year anyway, and Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Mississippi State, potentially South Carolina if they beat them. But I do think there is something to be said, though, at a certain point. I, I said this. I talked to somebody else about it. I don't think they necessarily found it as big of a deal as I did. I just feel like he might be exhausted in terms of – obviously everybody's dealing with COVID this year. But they've had a lot of things happen. I mean, with Chris Oates, obviously John Schlarman dying. He had Pascal a few years ago. I mean, there's just a lot of emotion that has been in this program for a few years, and, and perhaps that draws him even stronger. I mean, it could work that way where he feels even stronger well, being here. But, that's what I was about to say to you, actually, is I, honestly I think that that would actually keep him in Lexington. Yeah. Just given that everything that they've gone through, that, you know, it's a, it's a tighter – I mean, it's a tight relationship. Like, they – those people in that program are close. Um, they are. From a competitive his, standpoint, or go ahead. Well, I was going to bring up the point, too. And, and like I said, we both said this. This isn't even a story right now, but it's obviously something that was thrown out there to the public. Saturday Down South picked up on it, wrote about it today. Uh, we know with the success that Kentucky's had under Mark Stoops that this isn't going to go away. There's going to be programs that he's going to be linked to for the rest of his career. If he's at Kentucky another 10 years, this won't be the last time that his name's linked to Iowa or linked to Miami or Florida State or something like that. Uh, and that just comes with success. That comes with the territory. But yeah. here's his son in eighth grade, you know, pretty much spent his entire life in Lexington. Their youngest boy has spent his entire life in Lexington. Do they want to pick up and move? Like, I think that would be a thing that you have to look at and see that, obviously, I, I think that that would play into it. I mean, Will is – We'll be going into high school next year. I just don't know, you know, if that's the time you want to move. Will has a lot of friends in Lexington. They obviously love Lexington. And then uh, I think there'd just be a lot to play into it. But the thing, the appealing thing, the only reason we're talking about this, if this were any other program, I don't even know if we'd be talking about it, but the fact that he played at Iowa and then mm -hmm. we just we just don't know. That's the appealing thing of it is you get to go home. You get to go home, yeah. And he started his coaching career there. Like you said, he played there. From a competitive standpoint, too, and this is what I was trying to get at just in terms of, you know, like we can sit here and, and the, the grind and the, the hope will always be that Kentucky can win the SEC East. It's never happened since they split the divisions. Kentucky's never played an SEC championship game. The path at Iowa is much easier. The way I view it right now in that, in that side of the conference of the Big Ten, you're pretty much looking at Wisconsin as maybe the only team that you would think is for sure better than Iowa. I mean, you've got Northwestern, Purdue, Nebraska is obviously not what it used to be. Um, I think Illinois is on that side. So, you know, a lot of teams that aren't – it's nowhere near the gauntlet that you have. And if you can win that side of the division every few years, and if Ohio State or 
Maybe one day Michigan gets back to the level they should be. If those two teams are playoff teams, well, you're in a Rose Bowl if you can do that, and you're playing in much bigger bowl games. It's a place – I mean, Ferentz has been there since, I think, 99. So they're going to be patient. The expectations aren't crazy. Um, so I don't know. I, I think we're just trying to look at pros and cons if he wanted to do that. Uh, I don't think it's a slam dunk either way, Sean. I mean, I, I think if Iowa did come open and they seriously wanted Mark, I don't think it's a thing where he just automatically says no. And at the same time, I don't think it's something where he automatically says yes. So I think that would be interesting. Another thing, too, I guess the last point I want to make is everybody kind of talks about, you know, the obvious jobs that Mark would probably leave for. Michigan, Ohio State, if it ever came open, things like that. I think I think he would have gone to Florida State last year. I felt pretty confident in that based on who I talked to that had that job. Had he been a front runner, I think he would have left for Florida State. Um, Penn State perhaps is a team that maybe James Franklin decides to bounce here soon. Like I think those are all teams that he would be interested in. At the same time, though, I think there's a value in maybe still striking while the iron's hot. And what I mean by that is I think Stoops can afford a year like this and he'll still be viewed as pretty attractive in coaching circles, whereas let's just be hypothetical. Let's say they have three straight years where they kind of go seven and five, eight and four. Is he viewed as hot of a commodity then if they have those kind of seasons? Probably not. I mean, because you obviously – you know, you're you'd be what then four years removed, five years removed from a ten and three season, from a ten winning, and, yeah. and the Citrus Bowl victory. So I mean, it definitely changes everything. And then I, I've always said too, though, Derek, that if he gets to a point that he's been at Kentucky ten years, I think it's kind of hard to leave. Like if he if he keeps you know adding a year on to being in Lexington, but but then again, like you know, COVID's brought so many challenges. And then you yeah. you know you've dealt with the the issues and everything like you know the death of John Schlarman and then Chris Oates' medical condition, Josh Pascal's you know cancer diagnosis. I mean they they've been through a lot, and then I think that that kind of just uh, I just think that that impacts you in a little bit different way. Like it, and we don't know exactly, but I, I think that that brings them together. And obviously this isn't even anything that we're you know going to be talking about until the Iowa job does come open because the minute that if that job does come open if it comes open this is a real story then because he will be he'll be at the top of that he'll be one of the three or four names on that list no doubt probably be at the top of it honestly you know given that he's a big 10 guy here's Vince Merrill who's a big 10 guy I mean there's there's a lot style Sean the way he wants to play I I just feel like it fits very well I mean the big 10 is not experiencing the kind of offensive evolution that the SEC is right now no, I mean, SEC has two teams in the top six in scoring offense this year. Ohio State's always going to score a lot, but Northwestern, you don't think about points, right? When you think about Northwestern, Nebraska, <laughs> teams like that. I mean, I just think, uh, you know, I just think it's something he'll he'll think about. And um, But like you said, if it gets to that point, that's when we'll discuss it. For all we know, Ferentz might coach 10 more years <laughs> at we're, Iowa. We're he's definitely – He's already the longest tenure guy. So he's been there since well, '99. Well, uh, who, who, whoever listens to this, we're going to freak them out because they're probably not even aware of you know this of yeah. this whole story. But don't don't freak out. Like it's not something that's even open right now. Uh, two, did you see what I sent you earlier? I sent you the Music City Bowl projections for this year in Kentucky. Uh, Mark Schleyball has Kentucky and Northwestern. Sporting News has Kentucky and Purdue, and Athlon Sports has Kentucky and Iowa. Uh, projected to play in the Music City Bowl, cause, so that that at least will be an interesting matchup. So three of the six projections, you know, has Kentucky in the Music City Bowl, which makes sense, honestly. Like if if they are four and six and everybody's going to a bowl game, it makes sense to go to Nashville. 
I actually thought about this when he sent me those uh, that list, and uh, all all year I've been like, yeah, Kentucky and Louisville, they've got to play in a bowl game. That was before both teams kind of had seasons worse than was expected. I, I'm to the point now where I don't know if either coach really wants to risk <laughs> losing to the other side in a year that was already kind of below expectations. I mean, I, I would still give Kentucky. Just, I, would I would give Kentucky the edge. No, no question. I'm just saying. I mean, if you're Satterfield, I don't think you're like pushing for that game though this year, do you? <laughs> it, it, Not is, that a, had. is that a coach that's on the move when this thing's over with at the end of the year? Like, could you see him? You know, could you see him at South Carolina possibly? I think uh, he would have to be way down. I wouldn't say like super way down the list, but I don't think he's in that top tier. Um, Maybe some more realization this year. I mean, he certainly overperformed expectations. Nobody can take that from him. His year one was way better than it. I, I thought they'd win three games. Turns out this year was actually their down year. Um, but that roster still needs a lot of work, and they've already lost Javion Hawkins to the NFL. Tutu Atwell's most likely headed to the NFL, so you might get Cunningham back next year. But he's kind of regressed from where he was last year. I think maybe the reality is setting in for Satterfield that, uh, you know, it, was, it wasn't an easy job when he took it over based on the roster. And he's not – this year's class is obviously much better, but his class last year was not very good on paper. And uh, it seems like that could be a program that still is maybe three or four years away as, if he hits on these recruits from being, you know, back to that 8-9 win type team. So I wouldn't be surprised if he wanted to bounce somewhere like South Carolina. I just don't know if he'll get that opportunity. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I didn't even realize, too, if my audio got better. It's because I was literally talking through my AirPods, and now I'm talking through my microphone. So for you I listeners, if it, if things change, don't worry about it. Hopefully you're still able to hear me. But, Derek, if, if anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this thing up? Yeah, I just, I, I, no, not really. I, mean, I just want to throw in that stoop stuff. We're not trying to flam or add, you know, gasoline to fire or anything. It's just something I that's a published story by a respectable writer. To me, it's just, I don't know, Sean, it just felt very specific that Mark Stoops was the only guy that he mentioned, which made me think, I mean, yeah, maybe he heard that, something, I don't know. And but. I and I hadn't, and I know a lot of Kentucky fans haven't seen this pop up because I had, I missed it, and you sent it to me last night. Well, I think people are missing it because of the story, like, the, it's basically about Will Muschamp, but it was, it is. The it third was hidden point in it. Was about Iowa. Yeah. yeah, so. Yeah, so, like I said, we're not going to talk about it until we see the situation play out but it was definitely worth talk, you know spending a little bit of an episode on just mm-hmm. given the connection to Iowa I mean we would talk about this if it were you know somebody else in speculation that would be connected to a program but I mean we still have to wait and see how this thing plays out right now Kentucky and Mark Stoops biggest thing is Alabama Saturday uh you know ESPN gives Kentucky was it a four percent chance the FBI was it give was it four percent that they have a winning seems hot to me <laughs> you, think, <laughs> you think so? I just uh, I think it'd just be good to score four points, honestly. But I mean, it'll be interesting. It's it's a it's a test. I mean, you get to kind of gauge where you're at right now. You know, eight games in. You do you want to be competitive? Do you not want to be competitive? I think that's the biggest thing that you get out of this. You know, you're this is a weird year. Do you want to fight? Do you not want to fight? And I guess we'll find out what type of fight they have in them Saturday. They better have well, multiple I- swings. I had a I did a Q and A for our Alabama twenty four seven site today, and I I picked forty five to seven. I just felt like if Kentucky held them to forty five, I say held, it would be under Alabama season average, just barely, <laughs> but it would be under their average. You know, I feel like Kentucky 
We'll probably try to do something similar to Georgia. I mean, just really try to possess the ball. I'll say the big difference, though, is obviously Alabama's offense is so much more potent than Georgia, and you got to expect them that they're going to put up some points. Kentucky needs Mac Jones to play quarterback for Kentucky Saturday and throw the ball to a couple <laughs> of Kentucky players. Uh, no, it, it, that's an interesting storyline, too. And, you know, Mark and Mark talked about Mac in uh, his Monday press conference, you know, the recruitment, and that they, they they wish he was at Kentucky. I mean, of course, like the kids put put this way. Kentucky targeted him before anyone else did. Like they were in on him, and they knew that this kid had this type of potential, which tells you the type of coaches and recruiters and, you know, football minds and evaluators that are on that staff that they know, you know, talent when they see it. And, uh, two, I will say this, Derek. If Kentucky, if at some point Mark Stoops does decide that he wants to leave Kentucky for something else, I'm pretty confident that their next head coach, if is given the opportunity, was at Kroger Field yesterday during John Schlarman's uh, memorial. I do think, I think Neil Brown would jump at the opportunity to come home. I really do. I mean, it's a slam dunk, I think, for both sides, if that's what he chooses to do. Um and again, that'll be something we'll save to discuss when the time comes, uh, if he leaves. But if you were just listening to that segment, I was trying to think of a short list. I mean, the two names that are the most obvious to me, obviously Nils at the very top, and then Luke Fickle. I don't think Fickle would come here. I just think he's waiting on a Big Ten job. But at the same time, he is about as close to Stoops as you could get. Just honestly, a more successful. Stoops at that point because he's been a head coach at Cincinnati and has done very well. But it's a defensive guy from Ohio who you think a lot of the things that Mark has been able to implement, you would think Fickle would be able to continue. But given where college football is going and given his ties to Kentucky, I think Neil would he would get people really fired up, I think, if he were to be the well, next guy. Well, we'll save that for – Yeah, we will. And like, the only thing that I'll add is, you know, right now if you ask me if Mark Stoops will be at Kentucky next year, I would say yes. Yeah, I think I, I think I think that Stoops has a lot left in the tank in Lexington. I, I really do. I do think that you get the sense that he is tired this season when we're in these interviews. Uh, I think the frustration setting in, but I think that's all across college football. Honestly, if your team's not undefeated, I think you're fr- frustrated right now. Just given because I, I don't think anyone's season's gone really as planned outside of Alabama, and even theirs probably hasn't gone as planned because they've had to deal with you know Saban had a positive test and everything, but. With Kentucky and with Mark Stoops, let's say that he does leave at some point. Let's say it's five years from now. The Kentucky football program is set up to have success and to make a really good hire following it. It is a very appealing job now compared to what it was when Stoops took over. And I think that you could at least, you know, target who you want to target. I don't think you just have to kind of, you know, hope that you get the right guy. I think they could have a short list and honestly key in on somebody they think that could carry this thing on if it ever comes to that point. Yeah, the candidate pool, I would think, would be way deeper, probably. I mean, if it's five years from now, it's hard to say how Neil's career would have gone by that point. Um, I mean, who's to say Neil wouldn't like things up at West Virginia the next few years and get a you know a huge job? Who knows? I mean, it's too far out to project. But, you know, back in 2012 when Stoops took that job over, I mean, some of the names, a lot of those guys who are <laughs> considered have already been fired by whatever school hired them back that year. So Mark's had the longevity that a lot of those other guys didn't. Um but it would really be the first time, I think, in a while. I'm trying to think as well as obviously the coaching search for Rich Brooks didn't go the way they planned. Joker was a head coach in waiting, so there wasn't even a job search for that. And then obviously Stoops, there were some guys, but there was there would be nobody, though, like Neil Brown, who had the ties of the program, who played here, coached here, 
And uh, if it happened in the next few years, would have a quarterback in place and Bo Allen to run his system already. Because I'm pretty sure Neil recruited him pretty hard, right, to West yeah. Virginia. So, you know, if people want to speculate on that, they can. I just We're pointing out that story, talking about it a little bit. But uh, I guess it's probably good for us, Sean, to call it a night after this one and come back tomorrow. I guess we'll probably record earlier in the day tomorrow. So we might have the draft stuff. Uh, it'll be too late, so we'll probably have the draft stuff on Thursday. Yeah. Um, and then, too, you know, we're moving into closer to Mailbag Friday and everything. Yeah. And then we'll have Big Blue Madness to talk about. we got the Kentucky-Alabama game to talk about. Uh, next week will be a busy week. You know, three U.K. basketball games. Oh. And then you know UK, yeah, Thanksgiving, uh, which we'll also we'll we'll definitely take you know Thursday off. We might try to record something ahead of time just to throw up that morning, or something. We'll look and see, you know, what next week holds. But this episode, as always, is brought to you by the Butcher's Pub with two locations: one in Pineville, Kentucky; one in Winsburg, Kentucky. Uh, you can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook for more daily specials. Uh, he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you tomorrow. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. reported three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.